so <clears throat> happy Resurrection Day, y'all. Um, so I wanna I wanna invite you into this moment because an invitation is what we need to enter into this moment of communion. Because sometimes we don't see it as a celebration. We see it as an activity we do. And we see it, you know, if you grew up in certain religious uh, places that it's every week. It's, you know, and you can only receive it from certain people and all that kind of thing. And so we take it and put it into a, a, uh, a compartment in ourselves. That this just becomes a thing to do. And so... It's kind of like being invited to a birthday party. If you're not invited and you go to a birthday party, it just it's just uncomfortable, isn't it? So we're not party crashers here because this is an invitation into a celebration. And it's a celebration of, of Jesus and his uh, love for us. You know, he saved us with an outstretched arm. Not only one, but two. And so uh, this celebrates our oneness with him. And um, it's our it's our oneness with the Father. In John 17, uh, Jesus prays a prayer just hours before they come and cart him off to to be beaten and to serve his passion. But <clears throat> he prayed for us in John 17. In John 17, he says that we may be one with him. As he is, as Jesus was one with the Father, he says that about us five times. And five is the number of grace. That's amazing, isn't it? Amazing grace. And so that last supper, that last Passover meal that Jesus was celebrating with his disciples, what he had learned in his 33 years of on earth as a man, what he learned and what he began to see is that people weren't celebrating the Lord's Supper. People weren't celebrating the Passover like they once did with passion. He was seeing that. And he was seeing that people just held it as a common holiday. The word holiday comes from a, uh, a word that means holy day. And so people were finding it common to have this holy day. They just, it was just, it was just another thing to do. It's just another spot on the calendar in their year, which goes against all the, it goes against the word holy. Holy is being set apart. Holy is being put out side what is common. Amen. And so at the center of Passover, at the center of the meal that they would eat at Passover, that what we know is Jesus' last supper, it was a ceremonial dinner to celebrate the Savior to come. It was to celebrate God's um, uh, emancipation from the for the children of Israel from Egypt. They were freed during that time of Passover. So when you go to a Passover Seder or when you have a Passover Seder, during the the meal, there are four cups of wine that are poured. The cup, the first one is the cup of sanctification. The second is the cup of deliverance. The third one is the cup of redemption. And the fourth one is the cup of praise or rejoicing. And so when Jesus poured the third cup that night, sitting at that table, 
He was saying, I'm going to be this pretty soon. This third cup, this cup of redemption, I, this, it is me in just a few hours. It's me. I, the, the blood and the, and the, and the body that is represented there at the Seder meal. And he's telling them, I'm going to be this, this, this third cup, this cup of redemption, this redemption from past, from all of your past, all the way back to Adam. He said, I'm going to, to, to pay the price for all of that. All of, I'm going to pay the price for all of your now, all of your present. And I'm going to, I'm going to redeem all of your future. How many of you know we still, we still mess up? But the thing about it is, is he's redeemed us and we've got to, we've got to come out of that mess up. We've got to turn from that mess up and come back to the redemption. And so that was what Jesus was doing that night, telling them that he was the cup of redemption. And even though Jesus instituted, revealed and instituted the commonness of, of what was happening in his, uh, his realm and what he was seeing, he said that for his Jewish believers that were sitting there at the table in 30 AD. In 54 AD, the Apostle Paul, 25, almost 25 years later, the Apostle Paul reinstated it to the Gentile church. And that's us. Unless you're, unless you got Jewish blood in you, you're a Gentile. Apostle Paul did that. He instituted to the Gentile believers in 54 AD and he called it communion. It wasn't called communion up until this point. And Paul called it a communion. And again, what Paul was seeing is that people had made it common. And and it's just what they did was just run of the mill. It was typical. It's what we do every year. And he saw that that common thread that we had through just making it common. He said this, this 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27 through 29, it says, the Apostle Paul says to them, it says, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, so let him eat the bread and drink the cup, drink of the cup, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. He said a lot of words there, but the, the key words there is in an unworthy manner. The word unworthy means to lessen the value. He said anybody who lessens the value of the body and the blood, the symbolism, the representation of the body and blood, he says you're, you're guilty of not discerning the Lord's body. To make it less than valuable means to make it common. Anybody can have that. You know, anybody can have a Prius. But not everybody can have a Bugatti. You know, that's the difference between common communion and uncommon, unvaluable communion. So this word communion we have that we talk about today is made up of two words, common and union. But the word common there does not mean typical and run of the mill. The word common there means collectively together. When I was in college, there was the boys dorm and the girls dorm. And in between there was a big, huge room called the common area. 
it wasn't just because it was typical. It was because it was a place to come together and celebrate together. Right? So that's what common means. And union means unity or oneness. Not only are we one with him, but we're one together. This is one body. You are the body of Christ. If you've given your life to Jesus, you are the body of Christ. Amen? So what I want to do is I want to bring an invitation in this moment. If you have never given your life to Jesus Christ right now, all you got to do is say, Jesus, I give you my life. You see, if you don't do that, this is just juice and a little piece of styrofoam. But if you've made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, it turns to something different. Not that this actually becomes the body and blood of Jesus like some teach, but it says I've been made aware and I I discern the body of the Lord. And this brings me healing. This brings me uh, prosperity. It brings me what I need. It fills in all the gaps. It saves me, makes me whole. Shalem, whole. And so if you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, or you're not following him like you should be, I want to say this right now, is all you got to say is, God, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my, you have control. I don't know what this, I don't know what this circus is going to be like, but as long as you're in control, I will follow you through it. And if you say that, Jesus, I give you my life, in one millisecond, your whole address changes address changes. You are now a child of God. You are going to heaven when you die. Your sins are forgiven and you've been made whole. Amen? So, I want you to peel back to the top layer of the cellophane in this little cup and take out your pieces uh, of bread. And here's, here's the power. Here's the power that's in this. When you believe it, here's the power on when was that Sean Bowles thing on Thursday or Friday? Thursday night, we sat in front of the TV and watched a Seder, uh, a Seder meal on TBN. It was a live Seder meal. And then at one point, we all took communion together. The biggest communion ever. Millions of people taking it at the same time. Lynette had been sick. She came home from Texas last week, and she was pretty sick. And had a bad cough and stuff like that to the point to where she, I sent her to the other room. No, she, she left on her own. But the, the thing about it is she was sick and we sat there on the couch watching this and we took communion together and we spoke against that sickness and she, it made her well immediately, immediately. So that's what I know about this healing can flow through this. If you need healing in your body today, know that Jesus, Isaiah 53 says that Jesus was broken for you. And when his body was broken, healing came. By his stripes, we are healed. So if you need healing in your body, you need anything at all from the the kingdom of God right here in this bread. Jesus said, if you'll value me, I'll show you miracle signs and wonders. So let's pray over this real quick. Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you for your, your, your son, Jesus. And I thank you for him saying yes to give up his body for us, to bring healing, to bring wholeness, to bring wellness, to bring that shalem that we've been looking for, that wholeness in our lives. Spirit, soul, and body, 
Jesus, your body was broken for us. So right now in Jesus' name, we take your body. In Jesus' name. Before you eat it, I want to read this over you. Before you before you put it in your mouth. The, sorry. The Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus, we remember you. I'll read the scripture first. First Corinthians eleven twenty-five goes on to say, In the same manner he took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. He was saying, In remembrance of me, know that I have poured out my blood. Know that I have given you, that I have paid, paid the valued price of each and every one of you. So, Father, thank you so much for this this uh, fruit of the vine. God, we thank you that uh, this represents the blood of Jesus, and it ratifies, it seals, it pays the price, and seals everything that we ever need and everything we could hope for in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and drink. Just hold on to your cup, maybe put it down by your chair or something like that, and then when you can throw it away after service. It'll be fine. We've got one more song they want to go until um, Pastor Lynette gets up here, so let's stand up and thank God. Amen. Thank you, James. Good morning. That was a good cardio right there. I like that one. I like that one a lot, man. Woohoo! Thank you, thank you. My name is Lynette, and we are so honored to have you joining us here this morning. And welcome to our resurrection celebration service. Thank you for being here with us today. Man, can we just get a... Thank you for our worship team. Yes. Well, well done. So if you don't know this about me, I am a strong believer in a scientific theory that I invented myself. And this scientific theory is one that I call the mailbox effect. And if you've been here for any period of time, you've heard me talk about this before. And it is proven every time I watch America's Funniest Home Videos and numerous times on social media. And for those of you that are on the edge of your seat and wondering, what is this scientific revelation, the mailbox effect? The mailbox effect is this, that when a child is learning to ride a bicycle, that they will have an entire street an entire sidewalk, and there will be one mailbox. And that new bike-riding, learning child will, beside all the street, beside all the sidewalk, will run into that one mailbox, (laughs) learning to ride their bike. And it is because they're looking at it. 
They're not looking at the wide open street. They're not looking at the wide open sidewalk. They are looking at the mailbox. And it is scientifically proven from America's Funniest Home Videos that if those kids look at that mailbox, they will run right into the mailbox. You agree with my theory? Thank you very much. So that is my, uh, is supposition a word? I'm making it up. It is a word today. That's not the only word I'm going to make up today. So just get ready. I don't know if it's, I think it's a legal term. That's my proposal to you. The mailbox effect. Another one. Another one. How many of you have ever gone to town and then got back home and realized that the whole time you were in town, your zipper was undone? Right? Okay. It's because we're not focusing on that. We're not looking at that. Most of us are not. So I did that. I got home and uh, I had gone to town and get my hair done and walked in the door and Darren said, how long have you been walking around with your zipper undone? <laughs> well, apparently all day. So it's what you look at. It is what you look at is what you will be drawn to. The mailbox effect. So I also have biblical evidence and proof for you this morning. Are you ready for that? If you have your Bibles with you or you like to follow along in your uh, phones, then I'm going to be going to Ezekiel chapter 37 this morning. I know all of you have been reading in Ezekiel this week. If you have a Bible, it's back there where your pages are still stuck together in the Old Testament. And so Ezekiel chapter 37 is a story that is common, uh, talked about in church a lot. And what it is, is Ezekiel was a prophet in his day. It was before Jesus was born and walked the earth. And God spoke to Ezekiel a lot. And during this particular chapter, what is happening is that Ezekiel says that the spirit of the Lord came to him and that by the Lord's hand took him to a valley of dry bones. And now some of you are like, okay, I have heard this before. So God, by the spirit of the Lord, takes Ezekiel to a valley of dry bones. And Ezekiel is looking at this valley of dry bones. And what he says is there was a lot of bones. And Ezekiel makes the observation that they were very dry. So in Ezekiel 37, in verse 3, he says this. And he, God, said to him, son of man, he's addressing Ezekiel with this title. He says, son of man, can these bones live? So I, Ezekiel answered, O Lord God, you know. And again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. God says to Ezekiel, can these dry bones live? And if you've been here for any length of time, you also know that I will say that if God asks you a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. God is asking the question because he's wanting you to identify what you're looking at. So God asks Ezekiel the question, can these dry bones live? And what he's doing is he's using this question as a way to evaluate the focus of Ezekiel's heart. And Ezekiel answers one of the most, I think, intelligent and deeply thought out answers in the scripture. Oh, Lord God, you know. I feel like that's safe. He gave the safe answer when he said, Lord, you know. So Ezekiel speaks to God and tells him this. 
God's not asking him that, remember, because he doesn't know the answer. He's looking for Ezekiel's response. Now, I'm going to put a slide up here, or I'm not, Brad is going to put a slide up here, and I don't want you to answer out loud. Look at your neighbor and say, Shh. okay, go ahead, Brad. My question is, what do you see? Shh. Remember, Shh. Now, the reason I say don't say anything out loud is because if you are here for Chip Brim, how many of you are here for Chip Brim? This is where we got this idea is if you weren't here for Chip Brim, you're looking at this and you're saying, I see a black dot, right? But if you were here for Chip, you would realize that the black dot is the smallest thing on the screen, but the white space fills the screen from top to bottom and left to right. But so many of us, and probably the majority, I would say 99% of us, before we heard Chip, would say, I see a black dot. Why do we see the black dot? It's the same question that God was asking Ezekiel. What do you see? And he's asking Ezekiel, do you see a black dot Or do you see the space and opportunity for me to do a miracle? That was the question that he was asking him. So he's asking him, is there space for my spirit to move? And again, Ezekiel being brilliant says, Lord, you know. And some of us might say, well, it was easy for Ezekiel to say that because, you know, it's just easy for some people to hear God. He was a prophet. He just heard from God. Well, their life is easy. They've always, they could fall backwards into a bucket of crap and come out smelling like a rose. You know, we think, well, it's easy for them. But if we take just a quick minute and look at the history and look at what was going on during the time that Ezekiel was speaking, this is a time that Israel, God's people, their nation had been cast out of their own land. The land that God had promised to give to them and that they had walked into and lived in for centuries, now they have been run out of and for all intents and purposes would be like what we know as refugees today. There are people without a land. There are people without a home. They have nothing. And for centuries before this, God had been speaking to his people and calling them to repentance because his people had gotten so comfortable and relying on their own resources and doing things their way and forgetting their roots and where they came from, forgetting the God who gave them the very ground that they walk on And they had gotten so comfortable in the culture of that day that they had even begun worshiping the idols. And God warned them over and over and over again, sent prophet after prophet after prophet to speak and to say, turn away from the empty life and turn to the God life. And they refused to listen. They'd become so hard-hearted. So at this point... They're living out by a river with nothing. This is where Ezekiel is speaking from. Ezekiel isn't speaking from his easy chair and having life good and reclined back eating grapes like we all think of. He's living a rough life. 
And this is when God comes to him and says, Ezekiel, can these dry bones live? And even in the midst of all of, you know, if you were, if you were one of these people and God had promised to you this land and now you're living out by a river, you got to be thinking, God, did, you know, are you real? Did you really mean what you said? Because here we are. And Ezekiel, even in the middle of that, answers God and he says, God, you know. And when Ezekiel answered that, God knew that he had found his man. Because Ezekiel would trust God. In spite of what he saw and in spite of what everything looked like, Ezekiel would trust God. Now, here's another thing that's interesting in the history of that time is that if a body was left out in the open and was not buried, it was a sign of disgrace. It was a sign from the enemy or the person, the army that had slaughtered that we have no regard and no care for the dead, for these people. And so they would leave their bodies out to rot and they wouldn't bury them. And I think it's significant that God took Ezekiel to a place where dry bones were exposed and laying on the ground. So what do we see here? We see that God took Ezekiel to a place of disgrace and dishonor, of disdain. Why is that important? Because every single one of us in our past would have an area of dry bones that we think is dishonorable. That it's a disgrace. That it's a shame. Those things that we hope that when we come into church and we put on our pretty church clothes that nobody would know about. The things that we hope, if I have a Bible that's big enough, even though the pages are all still stuck together with that really pretty gold trim, if I have that, then maybe it will chase away this feeling of regret and shame on the inside of me because the exposed dry bones constantly remind me of the shame and the regret and the guilt from my past it's also those areas where we feel we prayed we stood in faith we believed God and we didn't get the answer that we wanted and do we feel shame do we feel embarrassed because we think if God didn't answer my prayer did I do something wrong is it my fault Because we know that it's not God. We know that God is good. So what is wrong with me? It's the dry bones. It's the exposed dry bones. So God looks at Ezekiel and says, can these dry bones live? What he's asking him is he's saying to him, will you trust me beyond what you see? Will you trust me in spite of what everything looks like? What he's saying to us today is, will you trust me in spite of the economy? Will you trust me in spite of the interest rates? Will you trust me in spite 
of what's happening in the world in spite of the rising crime? Will you trust me in spite of the global change? Will you trust me in spite of everything that we're hearing on social media and everything that we're seeing? Will you trust me or will all you see is a black dot? Will you trust me and let me do something miraculous? And God is asking every one of us today, will you trust me with the areas of dry bones in your life? Some of you right now are sitting in a valley of dry bones. Some of you are battling. When I felt this when uh, we were taking communion and Darren said that all of the healing that takes place, let us not forget the healing of the mental and the soul, the healing of the mind and the healing of the heart. Some of us need extreme healing of the mind, our thoughts. Maybe it's a diagnosis having to do with the mind. And some of us need healing of the hearts, places where we've been broken. Our heart has been shattered. We've been betrayed. We've been let down. We've been disappointed. We've been abandoned. It's the dry bones. And God is asking us today, just as he did Ezekiel, can these dry bones live? Again, when he asks that, he's not asking because he doesn't know. He's asking to see what our response would be. So sometimes when we're living in all of this and we're hearing everything that's going on, all we can see is the black dot. But if we would look again, we would see the white space and we look beyond what we see and we look at the more. We see The miracle that we're healed. We see the miracle that we're saved. We see the promises. We see that we are rescued. We see that we are restored. But all of these things, God is asking, can these dry bones live? And the voice that comes to tell you it's too late. I've already prayed. It's too much. This isn't what it was supposed to look like. God let me down. That's a lie. And here is what you, every person here, and every person watching online, today is a day of commissioning. Today is the day that I declare to you in the name of Jesus Christ that God is looking for his modern day Ezekiel's. He is looking for a band of people who will rise up and in spite of what they see, answer God and make room for his miracles. God has strategically placed people in the middle of dry bone situations to be his mouthpiece and to declare when God said to Ezekiel, prophesy to these dry bones. That word prophesy in the Hebrew means to cause, to bubble up, to pour forth words and to speak by a divine power. Those words do not come from CNN, from TikTok, from Instagram, and even Fox News. 
the ability to be a modern day Ezekiel comes from partnering our mouth and saying what the Lord is saying. If you remember back at the end of 2019, God shared with us as a church that the, the number 20 in the Hebrew alphabet correlates with the letter pay. The letter pay in the Hebrew alphabet is symbolic. It is a picture of the mouth. So what was he saying? Uh, everybody was saying 2020, it's the year of perfect vision. 2020, it was the year when things went in the... Yeah. Right? The year 2020 was the year that God said, this is the beginning of my decade of declaration. The pay, the mouth, the letter 20 in the Hebrew alphabet. The alphabet is uh, uh, numerical in the Hebrew. So the number 20 is the mouth. And God is saying from the beginning of 2020 to the end of 2029, this is my decade of declaration. And what that means is he's looking for Ezekiel's that will stand up. And in spite of what you see, in spite of what it looks like, even in spite of what it feels like at times that you would be willing to say when God says can these dry bones live that in spite of what you see that you would be the one Ezekiel in the dry bone situation to say Lord God you know verse 7 Ezekiel prophesies to the dry bones and they come together and they're covered with skin that says that the sinews come on them. Can you imagine watching that happen? I mean, that's, that's, it says that, the, that there became a rattle. And he could hear the very dry bones clanking together and then coming together in the form of bodies. But it says that there was no breath in them. So God speaks to Ezekiel again, starting in verse nine. And it says, also, he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. God speaks to Ezekiel and he says, first, he says, prophesy to these dry bones. Okay. uh, Most of us would look at that and go, uh, that's ridiculous. Because they're not just dry, they're very dry. They're not just dead. Look at your neighbor and say, they're dead show enough. That's what that means. But Ezekiel did it. Now God is saying to him, prophesy to the breath. In the King James, it's translated, prophesy to the wind. That word, breath or wind, in the Hebrew is the word ruach. That one word in the Hebrew in our language is spirit, breath, and wind. God speaks to Ezekiel and he says, I am looking for a people that will prophesy to the wind. That will allow the bubbling up and the declaring forth from divine power, from what I, God, am saying and will agree with my word and they will actually speak to the wind. These are not common people. You're not common. You are an uncommon people. We were not called to be the norm. We were not called to fit in. 
So if it feels uncomfortable and you feel uncomfortable in your own skin sometimes, welcome to the Ezekiel life. That's who we're called to be. So God speaks to him and he says, prophesy to the breath. Now, this is the second time that Ezekiel is going to have to prophesy. And I wonder how many times do we give up too soon? How many times are we willing to prophesy to the bones? How many times are we willing to walk in faith and to pray the prayer and to do the thing, but we don't see a result? And when God says prophesy to the breath, prophesy to the wind, we've already walked away and we have created a theology. We have created a system of belief that says God doesn't do miracles anymore. Or God doesn't do miracles for me. I can watch him. I can pray for other people, but God doesn't do it for me. And the minute that we begin to partner with the what if, or if God wants me to have it, if God wanted me to have it, he would have done it when I prayed. If God wanted me to have it, it would have already come through. If God wanted me to have it, what if God or would God or will God, the minute that we begin to speak that and declare that we are partnering with hopelessness and all of the dry bones have just come and piled on top of every bit of hope that we had. The resurrected Jesus Christ is proof that God wants you to have it. The resurrected Jesus Christ declares to us, God wants you to be restored. God wants you to be whole. God wants you to be blessed. God wants you to have peace. The resurrected Jesus Christ says every area of your life declares that there is life, not just normal life, but resurrected life to be had. The Bible tells us that the very spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives and dwells on the inside of us. The Bible also tells us that we are not to take the Lord's name in vain. So if you have made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life and you speak that you are a child of God, do not take the Lord's name in vain. Meaning do not take his name and leave it powerless and allow the dry bones to dictate how you feel and to allow the dry bones in our world today to tell us how we're going to act, what our future future looks like my future your future is not determined by what any scientist says what any banker says what any doctor says what any teacher says your future and my future is determined by the empty tomb that our Christ was resurrected and seated at the right hand of the father where are God's Ezekiel's there are three kinds of people in the world and three kinds of people sitting in this room today. Because I am so deeply scientific, I just broke it down into three. <laughs> the first kind of people are those who sit in today and have no hope or vision or prospect of tomorrow being any better. They have no plan. They have no vision. Those people are hopeless. 
There's a second kind of people. The second kind of people are the people who stand in today and look at tomorrow and have a desire and a expectation that it would be better, that it would change, that it would move forward. Those people are hopeful, and that's good. However, there's a third kind of people. Those are the people who move into today from tomorrow. Because those third kind of people are the people who prophesy to the wind. They have spoken by the Spirit, the breath of God, to the wind, and they have declared forward the goodness and the plan of God to any dry bones, and they move into today from tomorrow, knowing what the word of the Lord has already been declared and the seeds that have already been planted. So moving into today, they're walking in the goodness of the declaration and prophecy that has already been declared in days past. So if you don't like what you're reaping today, change yesterday so that tomorrow you move into today better. That's science. We move in today overflowing with hope because we prophesied to the wind by the breath of the spirit. We have the hopeless, we have the hopeful, and the third people... Those are hopes to gators. Darren said I could make that up. So I'm going with that. I found out that I'm an instigator. I didn't really know that until, well, I kind of knew it because I would instigate. I would like encourage our son to do stuff that I knew that probably was not socially acceptable. And then Darren would tell him, don't do that again. But I would like, yeah, do it. It would be funny. I also do that to uh, my coworkers. I do that. I did not know that I was an instigator, but I'm really good at it. I am a good instigator. And I love watching what other people do that I have instigated them to do. And then when they get looked at through the side eye, I think it's really funny. And then when they come back like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe I did that. I know it was great. You should do it again. You go. That's an instigator. God is looking for Ezekiel's to be hopestigators today because it's not enough that we are just hopeful. Here, 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 here. Okay. So here's the thing. All right. This is hopeful. It's full, right? It's good to be that group of people. However, hopestigators, that's who we're called to be. Because I don't just, Darren is like, don't get that on my boots. (laughs) We're not just people who I've got enough for me and mine. I'm good. 
Jesus could have said, I'm good. But Jesus, but Jesus was a hostigator. He was a person that was willing to not only carry hope for himself, but the scripture says to us, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Why? Because he had hope in today from tomorrow, knowing that on the third day, the hopestigators, God is saying, where are my Ezekiel's? Romans 15, 13 says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you, say, that's me, will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So you ask, how how do I become an instig- a hopestigator? It's by following and speaking and being led by the Holy Spirit, not by what we see. It's not, it's not not acknowledging. It's not living with your head in the sand. Oh, well, you know, fiddle dee dee. We just hope it gets better tomorrow. No, it's taking an active role in saying, I choose to partner with God. I choose to partner with the breath, with the spirit and speak to the wind with the Holy spirit guiding me and leading me on the inside. And every person who has made Jesus Christ, the Lord of their life has that Holy spirit on the inside of them. Every person who has the Holy spirit on the inside of them has the potential to be a hopestigator has the potential and the call to be modern day Ezekiel's. We are the ones that when we demonstrate the hope of God poured into us to overflowing speak to dry bones. We're the ones who speak to the wind. Does it make sense? In God's eyes, yes. It makes total sense. And we're the people who are not happy and are not content with normal. You're the ones that insist on coloring outside the lines. You're the ones that insist that I think there's a better way to do this. You're the ones who are always thinking, well, maybe if maybe if we set up the panels like this next time, then we can do this, 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 and this. You're the ones who are saying, why hasn't anybody invented this yet? And then go out in your shop and make something with bale and twine and duct tape. You're the ones who are constantly thinking. You're the ones who are sitting in staff meetings at work and saying, why don't they change and begin to lead like this? Why? Because you are the modern day Ezekiel's and you're looking at the dry bones and you're saying, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Life for you is not normal because you're not normal. You have the resurrection power of God on the inside of you. Darren already asked at the beginning if there was anybody here who had never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. And the thing of it is, until you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, 
You can try to hope, but your hope is based on nothing more than things that are subject to change. Our hope is not based in something that is temporary and that changes. Our hope is based on the eternal promise of God. And if it's not good yet, God's not done yet. We're not people who are ashamed. We're not people who are embarrassed to pray big prayers. We're not people who want to hide or pray prayers that are common or prayers that can be answered by the change of of the economy or the change of the job market. That's not the prayers that we pray. We pray prayers that cannot be answered other than a miracle of God. That's Ezekiel's. That's the modern day Ezekiel's. So this morning, I felt that the Lord said, today is a day of commissioning. And for everyone who would say, I accept the invitation to be God's modern day Ezekiel. I'm asking you just to put your hand on your heart. If God is impressing you to do something else, if you need to get on your knees, if you want to stand up, if you want to shout, whatever it is, I am encouraging you in this moment of commissioning, you do what you need to do between you and God to say, when God says to you right now, Where your life is, where your family is, you don't know what your future is. You don't know why this happened to you. You don't know why the disappointment. You don't know why the devastation. God is saying to you right now, will you be my modern day Ezekiel and stop looking at the black dot, stop looking at the dry bones and look at the opportunity of God to do a miracle. Do we know what it is? Probably not, because he says his ways are higher than my ways, and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I can't even imagine or think what God wants to do for me and through me, by his spirit, by his breath, and by his wind. So I declare to you right now, Holy Spirit, overflow your hope in us. Overflow in us, overflow through us, and overflow your hope around us. Father, we are your Ezekiels, and we declare today, Lord God, you know. I am not moved by what it looks like. I am not even moved by how I feel. I recognize the emotions and I acknowledge that they are important to help me understand what is going on deep inside of me, Father. Help me to understand how I feel and the emotions that I'm having. And Father, help me leverage those emotions into a passion to be your modern day Ezekiel to speak to the wind. Father, we accept this commissioning today as a band of your children, as a band of your people. And we say yes to you, Lord. We say yes that we are the people who will not be afraid to go into dry bone situations. In Jesus' name, and if you agree, say amen. 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 Is there, is there anyone here who either your first name or your middle name is Al? And I'm not sure if it's Albert or Alfred. Al, Alan, 
Okay, and you go by Al. Okay, is there anybody else? There may be somebody watching online. Um, is that your first name? Alan. So God wants you to know that when he speaks of you from the heavenly realm, when he is sitting on his throne and he sees you, Alan, that he doesn't call you Alan. He calls you his son. And God shared your name with me last night. And I said, Lord, what is your heart for Al? And he said, I want him to know that when I speak of him and I speak of him to the angels, he needs to know that first of all, he sees you and he knows you and he is proud enough of you to say to all of the angelic beings in all of heaven, that's my son and I'm pleased with him. Thank you for being here today, Al. I was taking a big step, so I'm glad you're here. <laughs> Does the name uh, Cas- Castillo or Castillo, C-A-S-T-I-L-L-O, does that mean anything to anybody? I don't know if there's anybody watching online. Yes? Yeah? Is that is that your last name or pardon? I'm sorry. I say it one more time. Friends from back home. Okay, interesting. Do you? I, I know this is like super weird, but I just need to look at your face for just a minute. Yeah. So these friends from back home are they um, close friends of yours? Yeah. Um. So I feel like, are you going to be seeing them anytime soon? Or do you have any plans to see them? Yeah. Uh, when you go to see them, there is, just by you being who you are, God has a really special appointment for you in the time that you're going to be with them. So first of all, I just pray over your plans to go and to be with them. And we just pray that all of that, everything that you've planned goes smoothly and that your trip is smooth and that you have wonderful, safe travels. But God has a really special appointment for you with them. And God is going to put, if he hasn't already, put a message in your heart to share with this family or with these friends of yours. And it's going to be a word of encouragement that this family or these friends are really going to need at that time. So God is wanting you to really be bold when you go to see them. And he's asking you to take a big step out and to be really bold with your encouragement to this family because they're going to need that at this time. I'm not saying anything that there's anything bad for them. That's not what I'm seeing. But there is a pinpoint because it's important for them to know that God God would take the time to send you to go to them. This isn't just a social trip. This is an appointment trip. So be listening and looking for what God has for you there. Yeah? Good, 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 good. Thank you. Um, is there a Herb? Herb here or your dad's name is Herb? A middle name or a family name? Herb or Herbert? Okay. All right. Very good. All right. Father, we thank you 
that you know us and that you are aware of us so much so that you would call us your modern day Ezekiel's. And Father, we choose from this moment forward to be hopestigators. And we thank you in advance. Today, we declare that there are miracles, signs, and wonders that are going to be done through us by the breath of God being spoken through us by your spirit and that we will move into today from tomorrow expecting with joyful expectation filled to overflowing with your hope because we are your Ezekiel's and we don't look at what we see but we look at opportunities for miracles in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Bailey, come on up.